Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to his word proclaimed. Oh God, that is our cry, is that you, you turned us from the inside out. And you help us to focus on who you are and how you come and, and, and you, you, you join us. You, you help us to see who you really are in our lives and help us to share that, that love with others. So, God, as we spend this time together, we pray that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. So we are finishing up our series this week on high Christology. I, I hope it's something that, that you've been able to, to grab a hold of and, and to understand the importance of who Jesus Christ is. You know, unfortunately, sometimes in the church, we, we can get caught up in stuff and all, all different kinds of stuff. And, and, and when we really look at it, the stuff that we get caught up in really doesn't matter, like a uh, carpet. I know I look at our carpet sometimes, and I go, man, I really wish we can get new carpet. Or, or maybe I'll see a hole in the wall, and I go, man, I really wish we can get that hole fixed. But when I look at, at messy carpet... And when I look at holes in the walls, or maybe sometimes even a broken window, or, or, or something that is out of place, that, that is moved from one room to another, and instead of getting upset about those things, I think, you know what? That, that stain, or that, that hole, or, or that item that has moved, that happened because of ministry. That happened because... Our task is not to make sure that we have the, the fanciest or, or, or the most put-together facility. Our task is making disciples of Jesus Christ. And my friends, the one thing that I know about making disciples of Jesus Christ is that it is messy work. It, it, it's messy work on, on what we have around us, but it's also messy work on the inside, and, and we have to take a look at, at who we are on the inside and, and how God can come through the person of Jesus Christ to, to change our hearts and to change our minds so that what we do is all in honor and glory of the one who, who came to live as one of us to show us who the Father is. Remember, that, that's what we started out with. That, that's, that was the first premise of this series, is that Jesus came so that we may have a full picture of who the Father is. And that's not something that's made up. It's something that Jesus himself shares with us in John chapter 14. I love these words from uh, theologian Jan Johnson. 
She, she shares that the more we allow Jesus to look at us and love us, the more we trust Jesus and are drawn to him. We increasingly understand that Jesus is a glimpse of the Father who gazes deeply at us, who cannot take his eyes off of us. See, that, that's who God is. And, and Jesus came in flesh so that we can know who God is, who, who the Father is, and so that we can be reminded that God is absolutely crazy about every single one of us here in this sanctuary, and God is absolutely crazy about everyone who is not in this sanctuary. That's why we share the message of Jesus Christ, so that they know that God loves and cares for them, no matter where they are in their lives. And the way that we know this is that we have Scripture, because the Bible tells us who the living Son of God is. When we take a look at the Scripture, we, we don't elevate it higher than what it should be. But when we take a look at the words that are written in this book, it gives us a picture of who God is and who Jesus is and how we can build in that relationship with him. And then last week, we talked about how important it is to take all of Jesus Christ seriously. You know, sometimes we have a tendency to take our doctrines and our opinions, and, and we place them over who Christ is as, as, as what we are to do as a church. I was talking with Dean before a service. We were talking about the, the graph or the image that I had last week and had the cross right there in the center, and Dean admitted to me, and I, I know he won't mind me calling him out on this. He said, you know, when you're old, it's really hard to see something really small in the center. It's not only if you're old. Anyone. Sometimes it's hard to, to stay focused on what is right there in the center because of all of the noise and all of the distractions that are around it. Now, I want to be careful by saying that, to saying that, that all of the noise and the distractions, are, are, they're not bad things, all bad things. There are good things that we allow to take the control or in front of who Jesus is. And when we do even that, it takes our focus off of that center, the, the center of who, who Jesus is in our lives. Today we're going to conclude with a point that, that we are going to be expanding into the season of Lent. And, and when, I, when I was thinking about this series last year, I was thinking how perfect to spend four weeks talking about high Christology and, and who, who Jesus is and to move us into the time where we reflect on our own humanity and we reflect on our need of saving through the cross on Good Friday and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. We're, we're going to be looking at that and how to have a vital relationship of G with Jesus Christ as we look at his probably key teaching in Scripture, the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. 
See, those words there gives us a glimpse of what it means to live a Christ-like life and how we can elevate our lives. Not so that we pray, give honor and glory to ourselves, but so that we can give all honor and glory to the one who lived, died, and was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship with the one who created us, the one who redeems us, and the one who sustains us. So last week, uh, we have, if you're on Facebook, you know that, or Facebook or Instagram, you know that we have these social media posts that we post every, every day. And, and I love some of these posts. Some of the posts are funny. I, you know, I'm surprised people haven't given me uh, daggers that I like uh, sometimes putting ketchup on my macaroni and cheese or yeah, Heidi's looking at me going, oh, you are just so wrong. But, you know, there, there's those fun posts, but then there's posts like this from uh, Christian artist Lecrae. He had a quote that just really hit me on, on Monday. You can't expect the power of God without knowing the person of God. That's from a, a, a Christian rapper. And when I saw that quote, I was like, wow, that, that basically hits what we're talking about today, is that sometimes we expect to have the power of God without knowing who God is. We, we expect to, to be able to do the things and, and to say the things and to have the things that, that God wants us to have without actually knowing who, the, who he is. See, I, I contend that the most important aspect in all of Scripture is to point out that we, or that God's desire, is to be in relationship with, with his creation. Through, through Genesis all the way through Revelation, the entire book gives us a view of relationship. And it's relationship that God wants to have with each and every one of us. And just kind of quickly run through this real quick. It, it starts all the way in the story of Adam and Eve. When God created Adam and Eve, he, he, he placed them in the garden. And we talk about uh, the scripture that talks about God was moving through the cool of the shade. And not that, that Adam and Eve actually saw the person of God, but that, that relationship was there. But, but when Adam and Eve were off on their own, they were tempted by, by Satan to, to have the, the fruit from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And from that moment on, humanity was set in a place where they desired more what truth and knowledge was than who God was the creator, the sustainer, the, the redeemer, the one who gives us what truth and knowledge is. Adam and Eve, they wanted to, to break that relationship, if you will, with the one who created them so they could have something else. And, and I contend that, that when Adam and Eve did that, they forgot the fact that the one who had all the truth and the one who had all of the knowledge was the one that wanted them to be in relationship with them. And my friends, we do that today. We so much want to have all of the knowledge and all of the understanding that sometimes we chase after that 
more than we chase after our relationship with God. We, we want to have all of the answers and all of the, the reason without fully understanding the one who gives us all of the answers, the one who gives us all reasons. Then we fast forward a little bit into the scriptures where we, we see the Israelites held in captivity in, in Egypt. And Moses comes and he, uh, he frees them from their captivity and he takes them on this, this trip through the wilderness. And because of their stubbornness, because of, of their lack of, of willing to let God have control of their lives, they end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And, and one of the things that they have with them is this, this tabernacle. And this tabernacle was a, a place of worship that was set up with them that throughout the journey, a pillar of cloud or fire would come and sit in this tabernacle. And that, that pillar of fire and that pillar of cloud was God's presence among God's people. And, and once that fire picked up and started to move off, they would pick up all of their camp and they would follow this pillar because they knew that they were dependent on God to guide them and to lead them and, and to take them to the promised land. But something happened when they got to the promised land. When they, when they, they finally made it to Israel, they started to forget who God was. God was, was set in this, this set place, the temple. And the people of Israel started to, to wander because they were safe. They were secure. They didn't have to seek after God anymore because they were in their safe place. They, they were in this place where they didn't have to worry anymore because God gave them that land. But my friends, what they forgot was that once they started to fail, once they failed to seek after God, their hearts grew farther and farther away from the one who created them. And then it got to a point when they were following rules, following regulations, they were doing all of these things that were apart from what God had called them to do. God sent another tabernacle, and that tabernacle was the person of Jesus Christ. And that person of Jesus Christ came so that those who were in relationship with God could see God in flesh. I think some of the most powerful words that we have in Scripture is right there in John chapter 1, verse 1, and there in verse 14, where we said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So we could have the person of Jesus Christ right here in our midst. And Jesus guides and leads and teaches each and every one of us every day. But something else happened. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was buried. Jesus was raised from the dead, and Jesus ascended. So it became easy for disciples to, to go, well, well, Jesus has gone, and he's no longer here. But 
that is not the case. Because Christ is risen, because Christ ascended, we have Christ in us. And our scripture leads to a, a, a certain man who, who was a teacher who followed the rules and followed the law to a T, even went out and hunted those who were a part of the way, those who followed Jesus Christ, only to have a surprising experience when he was on his way to a place called Damascus. And we'll pick up that story of Saul in Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. So as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The story of Saul is an interesting story. The story of Saul is a story of somebody who has had a complete life change, who, who saw that he was supposed to go in one direction, and he wholeheartedly went all out for, for that direction. He knew what his job and task was, but it came to a moment where he had a, 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 a living encounter with the risen Christ that, that changed his perspective. See, Christ came to Paul, or Saul, who later became Paul, and said, you know, you're, you're missing the point. You're missing the point by, by hunting down those who know me, that those, those who follow me. You're missing the point because I am not here as an enemy, but I am here as your friend. And I want you to know the work that I have done so that you may then go and proclaim it to those around you. I can't imagine what it might have been like for, for Saul as he uh, stood there on the Damascus Road and was just was blinded and then had to be, be guided around and, and led to a home of somebody who he was probably there to arrest, to be shared the stories. And, and a lot of these stories were stories that Paul knew from his heart, stories that he taught through the Old Testament scriptures, the stories that reminded him of, of the work that Jesus came to fulfill, stories that connected all of the dots for him so that he may then go out and proclaim Jesus Christ. Now, if we are familiar with the story of Paul, his life did not become easy because he started to follow Jesus Christ. Now, his life became even harder. The people that he once was called to arrest and, and to bring to account, how were they supposed to trust him? And then those that he was sent out from, they no longer trusted him, and they were called to arrest and humiliate and bring him 
to prison, and yet to death. See, that doesn't sound like an easy story that we here in the Western world want to, want to hold on to because we want Christ to make our lives easier and, and, and better to, to, to move around and live our own lives how it is. But the fact of the matter is Christ does not call us to have a better life. Christ calls us to be in relationship with him so that we may have life abundantly through Jesus Christ. I love the words that Paul gives to the Galatians in in chapter 2, verse 20. He reminds them that that I have been crucified with Christ. My my past life has been, been set free because of Jesus Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. When we establish that relationship with Jesus Christ, when we allow Christ to be our lives, we no longer exist in our old selves, but it is Christ who lives inside of us. That is the goal. The goal is to have full Christ-likeness in and among us so that when people see us, they see Christ. How do we extend or how how do we experience this Christ-likeness? Well, Jesus gives us that way in Matthew 6, verse 33, by saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. See, my friends, Sometimes we seek after those things that make us comfortable, those things that, that, that will get us ahead, those things that promote us over others. But that is not what being Christ-like is about. Being Christ-like means that we seek first and foremost who God is through the person of Jesus Christ. And then all of those things will be added unto us reminded of a story about a young shepherd boy who was out in this field and a group of Christians came and was explaining to him who Jesus was. And, and one of the things that they told him just to kind of connect him was this, this psalm about a shepherd, about how this shepherd came and was there for his sheep. And, and the shepherd allowed his sheep to to graze in green pastures, allowed his sheep to to rest beside still waters. And and, and as the shepherd took care of the sheep and, and, and took them through the darkest valleys, it was to get them to a place where they could rest and have this, this banquet, have all that they needed prepared for them and taken care of them. And then the shepherd boy was so enthralled by the story He wanted to know who this shepherd was, and the shepherd was Jesus. And as they were telling the story, we were helping him point out on their fingers about who the shepherd was, and the fourth one reminded them that even, his fourth finger reminded him that even though they went through the darkest valley, the shepherd would never leave them. Oh, one day, as this little shepherd boy was out in the field, a, a cold front came in, and 
the poor little shepherd boy froze to death. And, and as the shepherd boy was being discovered, the one thing that they noticed, that he was holding on to his fourth finger as a promise, knowing that if he sought after God and if he had God and through Jesus in his life, that he would never be let go of. So he held on to that finger knowing that even though life was difficult, even though his life was being called from him, that this good shepherd would never let you go. My friends, that's the promise we have. That, that even through death, the good shepherd never lets us go. So I'm going to go ahead and get us started a week early on some spiritual exercises, some ways for you to help practice how to be connected to the one who loves us and cares for us. And this exercise today is a simple one. It's called the Papa Prayer. You know, one of the things that we hear Jesus as he is there uh, getting ready to, uh, to die on the cross, he calls out Abba, which is the equivalent of Daddy or Papa. And so I invite you to pray like this this week. And if you're on Facebook, on our Facebook group, this will be posted uh, later this afternoon. But to think about four things as you pray. First, present who you are right now. If you're like me, sometimes I'll go to God and I'll try to, to put on a show for him. And I'll try to make myself a whole lot better than I really am. And I'll try to pray my prayers so I can impress who God is. And my friends, we can't impress God. God knows who we are. So when we come to God in prayer, we lift ourselves up in a way that allows God to know exactly who we are right here and right now. The second thing we do, we attend to God. How has God been working in your life? How has God been pursuing you. Being good Methodist, we call that provenient, provenient grace, that, that grace that comes before us. And I can guarantee you, if you take a look at your life, you can see that God has already been moving in your life in a way that sometimes we are just too blind to see it because we're focused on all of these other things instead of being focused on Christ. Then we purge yourself before God. We take that junk that we identified who we were there at the very beginning, and, and we give that to God. We give all of the things that is competing with God's place in our lives. And my, uh, just finished up doing a round of God and me with uh, our Cub Scouts. And also I have my confirmation kiddos. They'll be doing this uh, hopefully today if they remembered. My past confirmation classes will be glad that I've just started this this year and not in the past. But today they need to come and recite to me the Ten Commandments because it's re important to remember those words, those words that we were given, especially the commandments that you should have no other God before me. So that's what we do when we purge ourselves before God. We say, God, I know that I have put all of these things before who you are. 
and I want to, to give them up to you because I don't want them competing with your spot in my life. And as I said, sometimes it's not all bad stuff. Sometimes it's good stuff. When we place things in front of God, we start building the separation between us. And then finally, and here is the most important part of the Papa prayer, we approach God because we want him. We approach God because our deepest longing is God. And once we allow that deep longing to, to, to fill our lives, to, to let us seek after the one who loves us, then we will have that life and have that life abundantly. And my friends, it's not easy. And it's not something that we get immediately. It is a lifelong journey, day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute, seeking after God and calling him to be in our lives. You know, my hope and my prayer is as we continue to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ, as we continue to seek God in all that we do, we let go of our baggage. We let go of our desires. We let go of our wants. We let go of our cares. And we allow God to fill up the places in our lives because God's deepest desire is to be in relationship with us. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you that you want to be in relationship with us. And God, if my friends around here's life is anything like mine, I know that I wonder why in the world would you want to be in relationship with me? Why do you love me so much that you gave us Jesus to die in our place? Why have you given me opportunities and people to, to build relationships with so that we can grow closer to who you are? Lord, I pray that you just help us to stop asking the question why and help us just to open our hearts, open our lives just to accept you as, as you are because you accept us as we are. So God, build our lives on your word and build our lives on your truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.